Welcome to the Good Cities Podcast, where we're releasing the good in cities for the good of cities. Brought to you by GoodCities.net. Today, we continue our eight-part series on Reggie McNeil's latest book, Kingdom Collaborators, Eight Signature Practices of Leaders Who Turn the World Upside Down. In this episode, Good Cities President Glenn Barth talks with our city coach, Reggie McNeil, about the signature practice of kingdom leaders who call the party. Welcome to another Good Cities podcast. This is Glenn Barth, the president of Good Cities. And today I'm talking with our city coach, Reggie McNeil. And uh, Reggie has been, Reggie and I have been talking about eight signature practices of leaders who turn the world upside down. That's the subtitle of his new book, Kingdom Collaborators. And it's been such a joy. We've gotten through six of these topics so far. And Reggie, you identify one of your eight signature practices of kingdom leaders with an interesting phrase in this seventh, uh, in this seventh signature practice. You say they, quote, call the party. What do you mean by that? You know, I am interested always when um, I have people that don't quite get that uh, euphemism or whatever, that phrase. Basically, it's the power to convene. Uh, these kingdom leaders um, are positioned in their communities with uh, the capacity to put people around the table. I mean, when they call or they email an invitation or or you know send out word, folks respond to them, and that's not accidental. They have cultivated those relationships. They are seen as a convener, and when people hear from them, they don't want to miss out on what this person has in mind, whether it's a business leader or uh, a civic leader. Uh, you know, I've worked with some, uh, some, some folks who you know, are in city council and mayors, that kind of thing, and it's a very powerful thing to have at your disposal, and that is the power to convene. So how does this insight factor into what we know about collaboration at the community level, Reggie? Yeah, well, it takes, if we're really going to move the needle on big stuff that affects our communities, whether it's hunger or, uh, say, uh, uh, you know, childhood illiteracy, adult illiteracy for that matter, health care issues, job employment, training, whatever, if we're going to move the needle on big stuff, then it takes what uh, you and I talk about all the time, a cross-domain collaboration or cross-sector initiatives, people, not just one little organization or one group, but folks who join forces across uh, various domains or sectors of our city from government and from healthcare or education, business, of the social sector. Uh, it, and, and so the power to convene is so critical in terms of getting leaders from those various sectors uh, to sit down and have a genuine conversation and figure out, you know, what they're going to do. Until someone pulls the trigger on calling the party, that's just not going to happen. That's why these kingdom leaders, with their capacity to convene, play such a critical role in building cross-domain cross collaborative initiatives that help our cities. You know, Reggie, one of the uh, groups that I think you and I have drawn on uh, as we've uh, looked at uh, how to form these cross-sector collaborations 
have been a series of articles that came out on collective impact in the uh, Stanford Journal of Innovate, Social Innovation. And uh, I wonder, uh, are, there, are there some preconditions that are important for being able to call the party? Yeah, I, and you're right. The, I think the Stanford folks served all of us uh, who are in this city work. Um, I think they served us well by giving us a language to talk about what they call collective impact. And uh, yes, and they uh, another phrase they use is there are three preconditions. These these elements have to be in place in order to have successful collective impact, or what you and I talk about, you know, collaborative initiatives that that really change things. The first of those is a sense of urgency. If there is no urgency, then uh, you know people are not going to be intrigued enough or willing enough to spend uh, you know their capital or, or time whatever else on on an issue and there have to be resources uh, to, to pull from uh, but the third thing and that this is what really impacts I think or impinges or on our discussion for today a third precondition they notice is there has to be a champion or champions and I really think that uh, one of the capacities of the champion uh, is that this power to convene that we're talking about. Now, there are other competencies that the champion has, and as a matter of fact, when you and I talk to groups, we add, we don't just talk about champions, we talk literally about the convener, and we also talk about the coach, the p capacity for uh, someone typically better placed outside uh, the, the community or this particular issue who can help coach the conversation because even with I mean with high octane leaders everyone wanting to go someplace it often takes someone to help shape the conversation to get stuff done and of course that's what you and I do through good cities uh, so much mm -hmm. we work with the convener who puts the people at the table then we help them through our processes fashion uh, the the work that they want to do together. So I think I think the convener plays a critical role in what you and I uh, and the Stanford folks would call the essential preconditions for uh, the elements that need to be in play. So the Stanford folks they talked about the need for a sense of urgency, adequate resources, and a champion. And I think they even talked about pre-existing networks as uh, as part of the preconditions that, that you needed to look to. Um, and what you've added to this is the vital role of a coach. That can be someone from the outside who can play a catalytic role, really, in, in helping to lift the vision of the convener and the champion so they can see uh, what others are doing in other places and what might apply in their own circumstance. Have you ever, you know, I, I guess I've seen some places, Reggie, at times where the convener and the champion were different people. Um, so right. that uh, the convener is the person with real influence, and maybe it's by uh, virtue of, of roles that they've played in leadership in the past, but the champion is the person with the dogged perseverance who just sticks with the notion that, hey, we need to gather around and do something about this. I'm thinking about my... Uh, my friend Don is a, is a church leader who retired from his position recently at Washington 
congregational church in Toledo. And as he began to look at ways that the church could come together, one of the things he discovered was a critical need in the city where many of the urban homes had lead paint and children throughout the city had been getting ill. And Don has now taken it on his own shoulders to get church volunteers out there to remove the lead paint and begin to help people have safe places to live, even in the poor neighborhoods of uh, inner city Toledo. He's much yeah. more of a, of a champion for that cause. That's right. And, uh, and there are others in the city who, like the leader of the Black Ministerial Association and, and several other leaders who are convening churches and getting the volunteers out to do the work. Yeah, you're right. The, champ, the convener, um, their, their sole interest may be just to put people around the table. Or this could be an, a mayor or a city council person or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, or, or a superintendent of education or someone who wants to uh, call together a group of people to work on something. But then they're off to 400 other things the next day. But you're right, that champion gets up every single day with this issue on their mind. And finding, uh, you know, when you and I do these city uh, engagements, finding that right champion, wow, mm. is so critical uh, to to make sure that whatever comes out of the, of the discussions that are precipitated by the conveners playing their card and laying their chips on the table, that we actually can move forward with actionable actionable plans, and the champion uh, ensures that. Or champions, as you mentioned, you mentioned a, a single person there uh, in another place, I'm thinking in a literacy campaign that uh, uh, I was involved in out in California, uh, it turned out to be a network, as you mentioned, multiple people who were all champions in their own way, but by giving them a platform, building a consortium that they could work from, uh, it just accelerated all their efforts. So in effect, there were multiple champions that got up every single day to push forward a literacy coalition uh, to, uh, to make significant impact on, their, uh, on the particularly elementary school kids accelerating their own uh, reading capabilities. So the, the, the whole convening aspect of kingdom leaders. And I mean, Jesus was good at this too. I mean, you know, it seemed like everywhere he went, he could call the party, you know. So, uh, and, and I think that's a, it's a way we reflect an interest in the life that uh, God has for the folks in our communities uh, by doing that, getting people around the table to work on these big issues. Hmm. As part of your discussion about kingdom leaders' capacity to call the party, you talk a good bit about what you call collaborative intelligence and how it can be strengthened. Help us out with what you mean by this, Reggie. Well, you know, we aren't taught uh, collaborate as, as, as spiritual leaders, uh, or actually for business leaders or political, that is so much, maybe across the board in our country, we aren't really taught a lot about collaborating. We're uh, As leaders, we're taught about visioning and championing and, and, uh, you know, persuading and inspiring and challenging and, you know, all the ings I could keep adding. But collaborating is a particular competence that you can learn, in fact, that leaders must learn if we're going to be able to build, uh, you know, collaborative initiatives that 
that make a difference in our community. So some of the things that I've noticed that are really important as I work with leaders on this is, first of all, to remind them that uh, in building their collaborative intelligence, um, their sensitivities to collaboration to, is to be aware that leadership in today's world, that influence in today's world is personal, not just positional. Uh, I remember uh, dealing with a group of Air Force generals who were convened to talk about a particular matter uh, challenging the, U, uh, the U.S. Air Force, and these were all the wing commanders from all across the country. And, and um, the issue that we talked about required their personal engagement, and, uh, and that was news to them uh, but was going to be critical in addressing it because they couldn't just assign that to some subordinate or, or give a speech about it and move on. The people who were going to be impacted by the work that they were doing needed to see this at work in those generals themselves. And, um, and in hierarchical situations and command and control situations and frankly a lot of just leadership positions, um, we we may forget that. Uh, we may be so removed from the action that we don't get it. But I can tell you, in true collaboration, uh, influence uh, relies a lot on, on personal investment. And so I just start off uh, with leaders asking about their personal connections and about their personal investment. And, uh, you know, I, I'm fixing to have uh, a bite to eat uh, here after this podcast, which will keep me moving, huh? But um, with a, a couple from an organization that I visited a few months ago, and one of the uh, the leaders, in fact, uh, the number two guy in that organization, uh, made a swing-by visit uh, during his lunch break to speak to the assembled crowd, and it just fell so flat because everybody knew it was just a drive-by, uh, you know, hosing down of these folks to tell them what they're doing is so important to those of us at the top, when in fact, if he was serious about that, he would have sat down, <laughs> had some conversations, and actually participated in the meeting. One of the reasons we're having to meet today is, is to try to figure out, you know, how to boost the personal engagement of people further up the food chain um, if this uh, initiative that we're working on is ever going to get legs. So influence is personal. A second thing that I think is important to know is that trust is the currency of collaboration. Um, you only traffic in trust. I mean, uh, I can't remember which leader, Meg Wheatley, that used to say leadership moves at the speed of trust. <laughs> and, um, and, and, so, uh, and that's so true. And um, I remember working with a group that had great intentions but put out a piece of information that, uh, it was a literacy effort, actually, but, actually, but uh, the school system, when they saw the print piece go out to all the community, took it as an indictment on them. And that was not the intended, not the intended um, impact of that piece. It was to try to raise urgency of why people needed to get involved. Well, at that moment, trust had been violated, and it took some months, lots of coffees and dinners and all that, to repair that trust. And I tell leaders if if you know it takes it can take months and even years to build the trust bank account, you can wipe it out overnight. But if you in fact 
know that there's been a breach and trust has been violated, don't go to sleep till you go to work working on it because you've got to repair that. A third thing uh, that I think is important in collaborative uh, intelligence is to remember that communication is the lifeblood. I mean, that's what keeps any collaborative body moving is communication. And in an age where we are just inundated with communication, uh, almost everywhere I go, anytime I have a focus group, anytime I sit with people and, and they air some of their concerns, communication always comes to the front because information is power, information is life-giving, and it's pretty easy uh, with people being subjected to so much communication that our message gets lost. So if you're doing a collaborative effort, you've just got to – what you know, just about the time you are sick unto death hearing yourself say something, Drucker used to say, uh, the people around you are just beginning to hear it. And so I think remembering that communication keeps people on the team is really critical. There are a couple more things that I would suggest in terms of uh, maybe three more things I would suggest in terms of collaborative intelligence is, is you run up against roadblocks to collaboration. They've got to be addressed, and typically they need to be addressed head on. I mean, you know, sometimes arrogance gets involved or not invented here syndrome. We're not going to play with anybody else if we didn't have the idea first, if we can't control it or whatever, you just got to be savvy enough to know uh, the dynamics that are at work and, and, and deal with them. It may take a personal conversation. It may take some kind of a, a, a public kind of rebuke. I don't know, but whatever the roadblocks are, don't pretend they're going to go away. They don't just die off uh, because they're typically tied up with a bunch of egos and, and other forces that don't abate um, until they're challenged. And a couple of quick more things, uh, Lynn, I would say about collaborative intelligence. You, you have to always focus on the why. You, if people don't get the why, you know, uh, or the purpose, then, you know, and, and is it uh, uh, Paul Sinek uh, who talks about that or Ted? I'm, I'm sorry, I can't recall who it is that he talks about that, folks that start Simon? with the why. Yeah, Simon Sinek. Yeah, who talks about focusing on the why. That's a, a critical piece in collaboration because people are never going to agree to the what and the how if they don't get the importance of the why. And then I just tell people at the end, just keep focusing on on the three Ps of communication. I say patience because it takes longer than you think to do collaborative work. Persistence, it's going to be harder than you think. And then perseverance, which means it's just going to be uh, more challenging than the folks around you uh, think. So, you know, just be patient, persist, and persevere, and you will finally win the day. It's critical. Uh, it's critical. And, you know, when uh, I think about, Reggie, when I think about uh, calling a party, um, I often think about how much fun the party actually is. And I have to say that this kind of collaboration is a lot of fun. And, uh, and even though it takes those three Ps of patience, persistence, perseverance, even though you might have roadblocks to overcome, even though you might have, uh, you know, uh, have to do a lot of communication to keep things going, there, there has to be a real sense of joy in the champion and convener's heart about doing a good work. 
together. Isn't yeah. that true? Oh, my gosh, you're right. Um, I mean, it is, if we can use Scripture, who for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the most grueling uh, assignment uh, ever given to anyone in the universe. And uh, so keeping the joy in front of um, of, of you is, is, is so critical to keep in the spirit and the uh, the interest and the you know keeping folks at it, including the leader um, or leaders <laughs> of the effort. So so let me just say this: um, last weekend, I had the great joy of of calling a party, and I I pulled together um, my wife's best friends, uh, her best her favorite coworkers, uh, some some of our friends from the neighborhood. And uh, and I rented a a, 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 a really a beautiful conference facility for the party, and uh, I had saved for it for a significant amount of time. I had the resources to do it. I uh, my my wife's reputation gave us the convening power, and uh, <laughs> and and before you know it, we we threw a party. I'm going to tell you though, it took a lot of work on my part to communicate to, to uh, build the trust that the party was going to happen, to get the pianist, to get the photographer, to get the facility. All these things take work to come together, yet in the end, the party is the most fun part of it all when you're yeah. deciding to do something great together. And, uh, and I think that's just got to be kept at the center of it. One of my favorite authors is Rodney Stark. Some of you probably have read him and, and – uh, uh, Rodney Stark wrote a book uh, in the early 1990s with his friend Roger Fink called The, Church, the, the Churching of America, 1776 and 1990. And, and as he tracks the growth of church membership through that long period of time, it was like 14 or 15 percent at the time of the revolution. And by the 1990s, 60 percent of uh, all Americans belong to a local congregation. I suppose we'll have to write a sequel to that someday, The Unchurching of America from yeah. 1990 to 2020 or something the, the like that. Churching. Yeah. <laughs> the de-churching, yeah. The de-churching. But, but uh, the fact of the matter is, though, that what they said toward the end of the book was churches that, that are growing churches have, they said, leaders who inspire and they have followers who perspire, and so that you might add a, a fourth P to that, right? That uh, yeah. patience, persistence, perseverance, and perspiration. Yeah. So no question about it. But you're right. The party, uh, party trumps, and the party rules when you can do it. And your personal illustration, uh, or any of us who've done similar things, uh, you know, planned a wedding, you know, pulled off a wedding, it's a, for our daughters or something. It's a, it's a great. It's a huge effort, but what a fun party. Right, right. And you know what? That's, I, I think uh, one, of the, one of the most uh, effective metaphors ever put together was, uh, was the metaphor that was put together in uh, Godspell by John Michael Teverlack, this uh, young Jewish guy who was rejected by a church in New York City, went home, read the Gospel of Matthew, and decided that, the, that really – Jesus' message was about the kingdom being like a party and, yeah. uh, and it being filled with joy as we serve the world. Yeah, wow. 
Well, the kingdom is about life that God intends. And, you know, the life that uh, God has in mind for us um, reverses the curse uh, that, you know, we have to fight and labor against all kinds of obstacles to enjoy the fruit of our labors and, and that kind of thing. I mean, Eden, Eden had its chores uh, even before the fall, but they were mm-hmm. they were joyful and um and so i you know the king is the king is interested in party and when jesus comes he, i i mean he does his first miracle at a party i mean you know just on and on he you know he he he's remarkable at his capacity to turn parties into or like or or at simon's house the pharisee you know i mean turn a party into a teaching moment or whatever i mean he just he, he just loved to hang out with people and I think that kingdom leaders, um, you know, they're not known for their uh, reclusivity. What, what am I word am I even trying to say? <laughs> but being a recluse, and I'm not saying you have to be an extrovert, but you've got to put yourself in a position that uh, people know you and know what your message is. And And I guess that's probably the last thing I would say about this, and that is, you know, it's important to show up at other people's parties if you're going to be a convener in a city or a community that can bring people together to do significant work. Um, you know, maybe a little humility, just not to always be the one who's part, who it's, it's your party, but uh, there are other parties going on. Maybe, you know, just invest. Uh, I had a pastor um, who spent a year uh, just visiting um, his congregation was going to begin a major initiative in a very under-resourced part of town. And this very wise pastor spent a year just visiting with uh, pastors who were in that area, social agencies who were in that area, before they did the first thing. I mean, you know, instead of riding in, you know, like we're here to save the day, you know, they attended other people's parties. It's really important. And maybe a, a last piece of that is look for people, and maybe this can be you too as a leader, but look for people that you can bring into your constellation of influence who are uh, what sociologists call boundary spanners. They are people that are in your orbit that are also in other people's orbits, uh, and they can bring those other relationships uh, with them and, uh, and, and put them into play. And these boundary spanners typically have multiple interests, uh, and so they have multiple uh, groups of folks that they relate to. So every organization that's really smart is always looking to bring some of those people on board so that they have windows out to other parts of their community. And it's true for the collaborative leader to make sure that if you're not that person, although you can certainly uh, you know, decide to be that, you at least have people in your constellation who are that kind of person, the boundary spanners. You know, as, as you say this, Reggie, one of the things that strikes me is that, uh, first of all, you said show up at other people's parties. And... Uh, I've been talking to pastors and uh, having served as a pastor, I began to realize people in my own congregation often like to hang out with each other. But I didn't get invited to a lot of parties in my 
pastor friends told me they didn't get invited to a lot of parties either. One of the things I discovered, though, was that as I started to work out at a local athletic club here, um, that, that people who were working out together came, came to develop friendships and began to throw parties. And after a while, I got invited to parties. While my congregation members rarely invited me to parties, I was invited to parties by these folks who didn't go to any church. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and, uh, and, the, and uh, some of my church members, I think, were a little surprised that I was going to these parties, but Kathy and I would always leave around 9 o'clock or so, and uh, then I'd hear the stories the next time I was in class. Boy, Glenn, you should have been there for X, Y, Z. What I learned from all that, though, was that uh, by joining with people who weren't like myself in terms of how they liked to party, uh, I mean, we had a great time together. We found great joy in life together. We developed friendships. And later on, many of those, some of those people asked me to hold a Bible study for them. And, uh, and, and uh, a number of those folks gave their lives to Jesus Christ because I accepted them as they were in their setting. Now, I, I think about people who are very intentional about this. I think especially about Glenn Smith in Montreal, one of the great city leaders on this continent of North America. He leads uh, a French organization, which you'd expect in Montreal, called Christian Direction. And one of the things they do is they teach Christian leaders, number one, how to enter into public discourse and, and to become active in their neighborhood council in their local bureau, uh, borough. And, uh, and as they do that, they also teach them how to have uh, a relevant Christian witness right where they are as they care for the needs of their neighbors and friends in that neighborhood. Um, this really develops kind of an, an incarnational witness by Christians in their community as they are very intentional about kind of uh, planting local missionaries, if you will, uh, who join with others in the parties they want to hold in their neighborhood. And, uh, and I can't think of a better way of, uh, uh, of expanding the reach and influence of the kingdom than to incarnationally get involved with your neighborhood or with your borough, uh, or in some way, to un and to be understood because you speak the language that they all understand, and you understand how, how then to be that kind of a boundary spanner, getting out of your own kind of Christian ghetto and out into the world where people need your salt and light. That's a good word, Glenn. That's a good way to, I think, to wrap up our stuff. After all, I've got to go to a party here, so... Um, I'm <laughs> I'm out of time. <laughs> well, Reggie, it's been a pleasure to be with you again on this podcast today. And today was all about calling the party. And if you like joy in life, you're going to want to be a part of calling the party. Uh, Reggie and I are uh, serving with good cities together. And uh, we've got a number of resources here at Good Cities. If you want to be in touch with us, simply email us at info at goodcities.net, and we'll be happy to connect with you and to talk with you about anything that you're trying to accomplish right in your city, community, or church. And, uh, and one other thing 
if, uh, if you like today's podcast, we'd encourage you to tell others about it and subscribe to our podcast uh, so that uh, you can be in touch with us about some of the latest information that we're sharing through it. Thanks again for being with us today. It's a joy to have you with us on the Good Cities Podcast. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the Good Cities Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and listen in on future episodes. To get more information about Good Cities, join our email list, or to find out how to get involved in making your city a good city, visit goodcities.net.